0: Do you like marketing?
1: I would say I've spent um, my entire professional life in it, so I have to enjoy it at some extent, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't think
0: you have to. I mean, I think there's a lot of people who do jobs that they don't really enjoy for a long period of time. but
1: That's got to be pretty miserable. Uh, I, I would I, say, like, I'm, I'm actually, like, full-blown passionate about it. I, I've, I've worked on, even when I was, you know, in school working on projects, like, I was always gearing them towards, like, you know, marketing or advertising or some sort of like ad agency world, which I was obsessed with at the time. Like it was always just something that was exciting to me because it's, it's like the uh, strategically influential and informative part of sales without being the greasy salesman in the plaid sport coat, the slick back hair, sling in a used car. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's
0: how uh, I I, I, li- I like the passion. I, I don't think I would say I'm passionate about it, but I think I like, I like, I like the technology more than the actual marketing, but I feel like this aligns to our personalities. Uh, You're very much the people person. Interested you, in-
1: <laughs> you feel to me like um, the guy from uh, office space. Looks like you've been missing a lot of work. Well, I wouldn't say I've been missing it, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> As many as four people directly underneath you. (laughs) Bobby, so passionate, climbing that ladder. Oh, yeah. Yep.
0: Any kind of corporate world, uh, like, um, thing that you're supposed to do, I'm generally opposed to doing.
1: Well, yeah, I would agree with that. But, and that's, you know, that's why, you know, I love being in like the partner space where, I, you know, I, and I've been able to, to, to tell customers this before. It's like, hey, like I worked at Salesforce. I went there because it was the best product in the space. And it, it was, you know, nobody is, you know, when you look at, you know, Oracle, Adobe, like they're not, um, you know, offering the same marketing suite that Salesforce is. And, and so like, but when you say that when you're at Salesforce, it's like, oh, well, you know, you, you have to call your baby the prettiest one. But when you're independent, it's like, well, no, I, I can actually share an honest opinion with you. I can tell you what the pros and cons are. I can tell you what, um, you know, what you're really getting here, what it's, you know, how we should implement this. I like the fact that we're, you know, a small, you know, or, or Lev feels like a, a smaller place where you're independent of those like large process corporate ladder, kind of like the, the, the mundane world of it, the way I view it anyways. And you get to have that kind of free range of like, yeah, let's just have honest conversations about what what you should do in marketing, what the, you know, MarTech stack should look like, what you can have as capabilities and what we should, you know, be working towards, things like that. But that's very much not the, you know, do it just because it's the corporate way that's always been done type of process.
0: The only thing I got from right there is that you like calling other people's babies ugly.
1: Well, that I, I do appreciate Uh, Not unlike the Seinfeld episode. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. That's a good, that's a good transition. You sound real uh, glass half empty Bobby here. (laughs) I wouldn't (laughs) say I'm passionate per se about marketing. Um, I mean, do I hate it? I don't want to be unemployed. Uh,
0: Yeah. I
1: mean, do I hate it?
0: Uh, No. I mean, maybe hate and then back it off a little bit.
1: This is, this is Bobby in the uh, Lev uh, interview. Uh, how would you describe your work ethic? Uh, you know, I mean, if you're looking for a Clydesdale, I'm not your workhorse. You know, I'm, I'm, I'll be there, but I don't want to be. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Let me, let me frame it to you this way. My favorite beer is Bush Light. Where does that put me on the spectrum of hard workers? Because if the Budweiser is the Clydesdale, we're far away
1: from that. And I have no classy IPA or anything like that. Not- no way.
0: Oh, no. No fancy foreign beers. <laughs> so as part of our Ultraviolet series, we're going to have three podcasts that focus on, the, on three of the keynotes that we had during our Ultraviolet conference. And the first one we have is Bobby Jania, who's the Senior Vice President of Marketing at Salesforce. So it's a good thing we didn't trash Salesforce on this call. I mean, Cole, you basically did a promo for them.
1: Well, not on purpose, but.
0: I uh, hope I never see a check on your table from Salesforce for the promo during this podcast. But (laughs) uh, so Bobby's going to be joined by Abby Sullivan, who is the vice president of client success here at LEV. And they're going to discuss the current state of marketing um, in today's world, especially kind of like we talked about just a moment ago, how it's very just technology driven you know, obviously more so than ever has been in the past, but you know, it's kind of like when you look at those, um, I remember like, a, like, a 10 years ago or so they had those like MarTech landscape slides where it was like, you know, there's like 80 people in the space, 80 different providers across, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it might be. And now it's like, I don't know, I'm going to get the number wrong, but it's probably like 8,000 different providers who claim they do some kind of MarTech, which is just crazy how fast it's grown over the years. But So they they dive into data-driven marketing, the value of video, um, touch a little bit on remote culture um, and how that's changed things for Bobby and his team. So they'll cover um, a lot about what what you'd be interested in around current strategies, priorities, and and really focusing on what Bobby does at Salesforce, which which I thought was really interesting, especially because there's a technology focus to it. So um, we hope you enjoy, and we'll be back for Completely Unrelated.
2: Hi, everyone. Welcome. I hope you've enjoyed the day so far and thanks so much for being here with us this afternoon. I know it can be very difficult to set aside time to prioritize events like this, so we really appreciate you being here. Thanks so much. I'm Abby Sullivan and I lead our client success team here at LEV. That includes our client success partners and our marketing consultants, many of whom are presenting with clients during Ultraviolet, so shout out to our teams. And I've spent the last decade in tech and marketing, including leadership roles in product technical support, product management, product marketing, and of course, client success. But it's not just me here today, I'm thrilled to introduce our guest as well, Bobby Jania. Bobby is a technology veteran, having spent over 17 years working in enterprise software and hardware. And Bobby is currently the Senior Vice President of Marketing Cloud at Salesforce. Prior to Salesforce, Bobby was Director of Product Marketing at Responses and he formerly served in senior product marketing and management roles as well. So welcome, Bobby, and thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today.
3: Absolutely. Thank you for having me here.
2: Yeah, of course. So to kick us off, could you just tell us a little bit more about your role at Salesforce and then also the work you and your team are doing to really keep tabs on the current and future states of marketing?
3: Yeah, so I I, I get... I like the best job i get to lead marketing for marketing cloud which means i get to spend my entire day talking about marketing to marketers uh <laughs> and just just the fun aspect there of you know fun and scary because i don't think anyone is ever as critical of your slides as another marketer or as your message as a um <laughs> good point but you know we then get to do all things for as we think about our messaging our website our awareness any any campaigns demand gen sales enablement and support, the whole, the whole gauntlet uh, we're responsible for.
2: Yeah, so quite a lot of internal and then, of course, external accountabilities as well, probably mm-hmm. similar to a lot of our marketers today. So let's talk about some of the recent work your team put together and published, the State of Marketing Report. I, of course, read the report. I had takeaways for me really in three main categories, um, like a day in the life of a marketer or what it's like to be a marketer in 22 changes to technology, specifically MarTech, and then also data, everyone's favorite topic, data. So starting with really the marketers who make up most of our audience today, part of that report was ranking their top challenges and also their top priorities. And I saw innovation at the top of both lists as a top challenge and a top priority. So what are you and your team seeing from marketers that kind of explains why you know, despite that being such a high priority, it's still such a tough challenge for marketers.
3: Yeah, that shift happened starting a couple of years ago, really right around the same time as, you know, 2020 and, and all of us kind of going inside and going through the pandemic. And, and I think what happened was is, you know, we saw a digital evolution at a speed that I don't think any of us were ever expecting. Um, I think a lot of organizations talked about having digital transformation plans. There are often many year plans. And then we just went through a compression where everyone, it didn't, you didn't go digital first, you went digital only. Uh, and so I think organizations really saw the opportunity and the need to improve a lot of those digital experiences, those digital innovations. And at the same time, they realized everyone is their competitor. And I don't mean necessarily stealing their dollars. I mean that every time you interact with an organization or a brand, you have an experience, we all went digital only, and we all had great experiences. We also all had probably some pretty terrible experiences. And so (laughs) it doesn't matter what industry you're in, you're competing with all of us as consumers. We've all experienced great recommendations. We've all experienced that great customer service handoff. uh, and, And we're bringing that to the table anytime we interact with the brand now. And we have expectations now, right? The first time someone does something, you're like, oh, that's cool, I didn't expect that. and then. Two months later, it becomes what you expect. Uh, And so I think that's where a lot of marketers are really seeing that that challenge where innovations are both the number one opportunity and the number one challenge.
2: It's a lot of tension between the two. It's a lot of pressure on the marketer to kind of reconcile all of that, to keep up, to keep tabs, and then nevertheless try to be the one that's really pushing their team forward and pushing their initiatives forward. So if you're a small resource-constrained marketing team, really – independent of how large your organization may be, but if your team is relatively small, where should you as a marketer start trying to prioritize that level of innovation and try to meet some of that pressure?
3: So I think it really starts at data and really at that data level. Because if you if you start it and you don't worry about data first, at some point you're gonna you're gonna build onto this 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 beast and you're gonna have this huge kind of plan, experience, everything else and it won't really use data, and then backfitting it in will be really hard. Um, I think what people, especially marketers need to recognize is data can be overwhelming, right? There is so much data. There's you know, there's always the stats out there about how there's more pictures taken in the last couple of minutes than there were of like all of humanity before that. Yeah. And the, the, the craziness amount out there. And I, and I think it can be paralyzing. I think there could be so much that it can just, you just don't know where to start. And I think a key is just, start with what you were gonna use. If you're gonna collect a bunch of data, if you're gonna get first party data and you're gonna to try to you know, gather it, if you're not gonna leverage it in your in your marketing experiences, if you're not gonna leverage it on your website, if you're not gonna leverage it with other departments, perhaps through customer service partnerships, you don't need to collect it from day one. You don't need to be thinking about it from day one. You really wanna be thinking about the, the the data that's relevant to use. And then that kind of just helps break the problem up a little bit and become a little bit more tangible and a little bit more of like, I know how to take the first
2: step. I think that's, I mean, presumably also accessible independent of the size of your team, because if, if you are a small resource constrained team, there's really, in theory, maybe nothing prohibiting you from starting there, even if maybe your budget's a little more constrained for purchasing additional tech or adding people or what have you. What about the more sophisticated marketing teams that you're seeing? They're ready to meet that challenge and hit that priority of advancing innovation. What are some of the things you're seeing them do to really advance that best in class customer experience that they Mm -hmm. need to deliver to be all in on digital?
3: Mm-hmm. I, th- I think we're going to see a big leap in the next, you know, five to ten years in, in, in the idea of that real-time personalization. And, and, and I don't just mean, you know, like putting an alert on, like a website or having it be <laughs> a little different. I, I'm really thinking of if you think about an experience a customer has with a company. If it's an in-person experience, it's a two-way conversation. You know, I am talking to someone. They are learning from every interaction, and in theory, they're hopefully tailoring the response back. But for so long that digital conversation has been one way right as you in essence as you talk to a website by browsing it by clicking by spending more time on a page you're giving all of these signals to a company but most companies aren't taking any of that information or what they might already know about you from previous parts and kind of adapting the experience and so what i think we're going to really see is this level of real-time personalization where you know it it starts to feel more like a two-way conversation even digitally And that you can kind of start to build that relationship with the customer and the customer builds a relationship with the brand not just through the human interactions but even more also through the digital interactions
2: i love the the parallel to if you're in person there's there's no talking to a wall you have a real human there who's offering you some level of support or service or what have you and it's it's also a probably a good transition into some changes in tech ai being one of those so for a marketer that's looking to I think Lev is a consultancy. We might say, okay, you're looking to adopt some AI, adopt some changes in tech. The first thing you might think about is some things were manual, make, make those automated. That's a really good first step to start thinking about adopting that technology. Um, What's then that, that two-way communication, what are some of the examples that you're seeing of, you know, customers best in class, delivering that two-way personalized learning from you and then giving that kind of right back to you in the, in the form of a better experience.
3: Yeah, I, I think you're you're dead on there on AI. Like I, I often like to just dis- simplify things and sometimes it's oversimplification, but it makes it easy for most people to understand then. You know, I, I bucket AI into two categories. One of how do I make the marketer kind of do their job better, automate tasks, automate reports, automate. I, I, I still think about the fact that I've spent more time than I ever wish, you know, copying and pasting data into Excel <laughs> files to send out internal reports. <laughs> To look at how potentially a campaign was performing, um, and so there's a lot AI can do there to free up time for the marketer to hopefully do more more marketing. Um, the other part I think that is really, you know, the other bucket for AI is really about how does AI help that that experience. So, so you know, we want to talk about one-to-one marketing. We want to talk about building those relationships. You know, that that means less segments and less audiences that means more reacting to the individual uh and you know we're not going to be able to have you know someone review every email that goes out if they're truly one-to-one personalized with different hero images and different offers everything else so the only way we can make that work at scale is through ai um and ai is, is something that you know i think we've seen a lot of marketers really there was i think more skepticalness years ago because i felt like some people when they heard ai marketing were thinking like space odyssey and you're going to have a computer like how I'll just do everything for you <laughs> and you know we we might get to a point where you can ask ai questions on campaigns and it will help you give human answers back on like what it thinks you know a marketer should do um at, at this point i think we're a lot more about like how do i make sure that the right hero image goes to me or the right subject line or the right offer goes to me um and, and i think that when you pair ai with the right kind of customer profile information, um, you, you can really create some amazing experiences, whether it be, you know, I go to a brand's website and it knows if I've been to the page or not. So it knows whether or not it needs to, or rephrase, it knows the last time I was at the page, and maybe something has happened since then and they wanna put, you know, some sort of eyebrow banner on there. But it can figure out whether i need to see it or not because of because of what i've seen it can know whether or not i've last interacted with the brand or purchased something recently or whatever those are um you know so you don't get the the occasional you know email where it's like we miss you we haven't seen you forever and you're like well i was actually on the website like (laughs) Uh, i think being able to kind of connect those dots um but you know ai is really going to enable us to to do this personalization at, at, at a scale we just we just couldn't have done before. Um, and, and I think that you know you, you get that right, you get a relevant message. Uh, and you know, what we see from customers, typically speaking, is they're very often okay with that exchange of information with I am going to give you some of my personal information if it gives me a better experience. The challenge is a lot of customers think that personal information is a one-way street and that the brand's using it only for the brand's benefits. Um, They get very concerned about how that information might be used or if it's sold. Uh, and, and, And so I think there's a lot of this is in order for a brand to work and make AI work in this level, they need to be thinking about trust. They need to be thinking about transparency, of being very clear on what they are gathering, what they are collecting, how they might use it back, and, you know, just like for a lot of us, it's it's still a human being. So the customer wants to know what's in it for them, right? There's there's some sort of exchange here. What am I getting back by giving you this information? Uh, and you know, AI can be a, a a wonderful tool if you kind of follow those guardrails.
2: I heard I heard several things there. And last week tonight with John Oliver, they just did a segment on this and the skepticism around collecting data and, and what the heck your company is doing with it. I heard um, fewer segments and more one-to-one personalization. And that's that's probably a great illustration of that tension between innovation being the top challenge and the top priority because some of our marketers are probably just starting to get their heads around segments or they just now have the data for segments. And now all of a sudden we're saying, well, the next thing to do is make sure it's highly personalized and, and that's a totally different ballgame. So yeah. it's, it's an interesting illustration of the state of marketing, how yes. quickly things are shifting, I think. And then also I think the the move to digital only and being amidst still probably the great resignation and people making dramatic changes in their work life and, and how they want to spend their time, that level of automation becomes increasingly more important for teams because you you may very well have fewer people even if you desire to have more to do that work. And so whether you may have been resistant to it or knew how to use it or not, you may your hand may be a little more forced at this point to try to figure it out.
3: Yeah. I mean and, and data is such it, it internally, if you think about all of us at our companies, having access to the right data, access to the right p- report or the right information has probably made all of our jobs much easier to use. Yeah. And I'm sure many people, you know, listening right now have had the same problem I've had where I have a report. I have it in my email, right? But it's like it's potentially an Excel file. And I don't <laughs> know, is it do I trust it still? Is it accurate still? Right. Like and so just Now, knowing that you have the right data and having confidence that the data you're looking at is still current and fresh is just it, it goes such a long way with us being able to do our jobs.
2: That's a great segue, because for us to be able to do our jobs, then also I see an opportunity to impact the rest of the business, the rest of the organization where you work as a marketer, you have tech like AI at your disposal or you're accountable for that. And now you have the opportunity to gather data, use data, but probably inform other functions like sales, service, operations, whatever that might be. Are you seeing any customers do this particularly well or take things into consideration to really improve the influence they have as a marketing function over the rest of the business and really like step forward into the spotlight and and be the thought leaders at their organization?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see the, the different paths. Some of our customers are on with, with, with data. Cause sometimes it's just about, like you said, is it, does the marketing department know what's going on and do they really understand what their marketing is doing? And then you start getting into how, how do they potentially share that information and make sure that all the other departments, whether that be sales, customer service, if, if they have a website or e-commerce department that is potentially separate is, is all on the same page. Um, you know, I, I can I can think of some customers. You know, one one that kind of comes to mind that's been doing some really really cool things with data is, has been HBO Max. Um, they've been, they've been using a lot, a lot of the products there to kind of go through and just really holistically understand how their marketing is performing, uh, and then kind of sharing that across the organization. Um, you know, there's the old the old saying of I know I waste half my advertising budget. I just don't know which half. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think that we're at a point now with with data that it's starting to get a lot easier to really see potentially dollars spent, dollars returned. Uh, and, and looking at, you know, how is that performing potentially at a campaign level, because I don't think the idea of a campaigns going away? Um, how is that performing on a given channel level? How is that performing in a given region level? Uh, and then there's some pretty cool tools out there now that allow that you know, run AI on top of that, that detect basically abnormalities, both both good and bad. One where it's you know a campaign is underperforming, how do you alert a marketer in real time so potentially they consider putting less dollars Definitely. towards it? Um, yeah. But there's also a campaign is overperforming, and how do you either potentially put more spend to it, or how do you just learn from it? How do you, how do you look into figuring out what was going on, why did this overperform, and how do I leverage that for for future efforts?
2: Yeah. And to your point about real time, knowing that sooner rather than later, I mean, gives you that much more runway to make those adjustments, be a a better, more responsible with the budget and then, you know, act that much sooner and make improvements moving forward. I think I think that's key, too, to your point about having the report in your inbox that's one minute old is kind of too old at that point because you don't know what's what's been happening since it's transpired.
3: I mean, I remember a time where I would finish a quarter. And about four to five weeks after the quarter was closed, I would finally get a report to see how all of my marketing performed that quarter. Right. And (laughs) that's that's better than nothing, but there's, there's no time for adjustments then. And once you're four to five weeks after the quarter closed, that also means you're four to five weeks into the new quarter. And so you start thinking about like how long it could potentially take to gain insight to change marketing plan. Right. And, and, And that. That can't be months or weeks. That that needs to be yeah. days, if not hours.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Especially in the, I keep saying it, but in the digital only environment where there's, there's not even anything else maybe to fall back on or report on. Well, shout out to HBO Max. I mean, it helps to have phenomenal content for sure. I'm a big fan, but I, I love hearing the use case for the, the analytics reporting as well. You mentioned earlier um, a number of things about data and one of those was about privacy and about being good stewards of our customers' data and then understanding how to use that for our marketers in the audience who who it's critically important um, to understand the, the regulation part of that. What do you, maybe what advice can you offer about the current state of regulation over privacy and consent and then where you see some of that legislation either in the States or overseas going into mm-hmm. the future?
3: I mean, I would honestly say embrace it, right? I mean, like, I think I think a lot of this is, is, I don't wanna say overdue, but like, I think for a long time, I don't think us all as consumers were really consciously aware of how our data may or may not have been used, or potentially more importantly, may or may not have been sold. Um, and, and, and I think when you first saw GDPR and CCPA and, and a few of those, I think you kind of saw, a little bit, or, or even with the recent changes with, you know, Apple changing email privacy and, you know, opening an email at the time it hits their servers versus anything else. And there's a bit of, there's always been kind of hacks that people have tried to do that, that mm-hmm. goes, you know, you look at Google ad search and forever people have tried to hack the algorithm. And as soon as, you know, anything that if someone finds those, they just, they just close the loophole, right? So <laughs> you're, you're if you're trying to play a loophole game between, the email protection privacy changes or legislation changes that have happened you're, you're just going to stay in that race and you're just going to be constantly trying to find new loopholes and others are closed. I, I think instead it is more of a it is an it is a great reset opportunity for so many organizations It is an opportunity that we are kind of redoing the playing field all over again, where um, you know. Yes, third party data is probably less impactful than it used to be. First party data is now incredibly important. It always has been, but I think for some organizations, their first party data strategy was, was lacking where, where they probably would like it to be. Now, I think the first party data is an, is an amazing exchange though, because that's the one time if you're really, if you're really, you know, when, as you gather and collect first party data, if you're doing it right, that customer is giving it to you directly. Now I know it might not necessarily be them putting a form on there saying here is my email address and talk about the idea of whether first party and zero party data and the differences between those. But at least if I'm interacting with a brand's website, I know I'm interacting with that brand's website. It's very different when I interact somewhere and then suddenly that has been sold off, whether it be a cookie or something else and now a brand I never interacted with is, is approaching me. Yeah. Um, and so I think that there's a great opportunity now for any company to really be very, very transparent. And the laws help here too, of what are they collecting? How are they going to use it? And how does it potentially benefit the customer? And, you know, we see time and time again that if you are willing to go that route, customers tend to be okay with it. Um, you know, we have the state of connected customer report and my favorite kind of stat was that a couple of years ago in 2020, uh, it said that 80% of customers say the experience is just as important as the product or service. Um, I am going to kind of release a stat that has not been fully published yet, but in the report that comes out this summer, that number has jumped to 88%. Oh, wow. So in two years, we've seen an eight point swing in that the experience is just as important as the product or service. And I think that is, goes back again to that, the, the number one challenge and number one and opportunity for marketers is innovation because we all as digital customers want great experiences we've had them with some organizations so we feel everyone should and can be able to do it
2: yeah the the great experiences and also that transparency I like what you said because it can become your value prop it does not have to be a thorn in your side that additional regulation has been passed and now you have to make all these changes really you can I I love the idea of embracing it that it is an opportunity to change an opportunity to do things a little bit differently. And then that level of transparency being what customers have come to expect, especially younger customers wanting that full level of transparency and relationship with your company. It's really, I think a value add to say, look, we're telling you exactly what we're doing, how we're using it. And we're setting that, that appropriate expectation with you. Seems like it would, it would lean toward um, having a consumer be more likely to provide that data to you.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely
2: so with thinking about some of those changes in tech systems like a a cdp a customer data platform or adding on tools with ai capabilities crm really any of these tools they all require data to be increasingly effective we've talked a little bit about that and how you talked a little bit too about starting to think about what you're going to collect what's the right way for a marketer to start thinking about collecting that data in order to then be able to act on it and evaluating, you talked about, you know, what do you really need, collect that and then act on it, but what, what's the right way to kind of approach that if you're, if you're brand new to thinking about this?
3: Yeah, I, I think a lot of it is, is, is that kind of automation path, which is, you know, okay, I need to start to collect data. It needs to be in an automated fashion. And then I need to be able to have that stream in and be able to use that in in my marketing efforts, whether that be, you know, something like a website personalization, whether that be an email I'm sending out, um, whatever that, that might be. And as I kind of think about the evolution, you know, you talked about like CDPs, you talked about CRM, they were all tools to help a company organize and then activate the data they have. Um, I think a big thing you're seeing is when we think of you know, CRM, if we think about what probably pops into your mind the first time you hear a term like CRM, you're thinking a lot more about organizing contacts, organizing leads, organizing opportunities. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of think about it from a slightly different lens, which is many CRM systems, the data entry has still been human. Not always, I mean, there's integrations, right? There's a, there is still the idea of, you know, I, I have a form that I complete on a website and it flows in and that's a great way to capture information. As it goes on though, you think about a lot of times people are hitting, you know, an edit on a field, typing a new value in and hitting save. And, and I think what we see as we kind of evolve into the, the, the notion of a CDP is in my mind, it's really the same concept. It's about how the data is being entered and how it's being done at scale. And so, for a lot of times, for a lot of these CEPs gone are the day that you're not asking a marketer to pull up the profile of Bobby and go in there and edit that what my favorite activities are. You're instead asking systems to write to that in real time and determine interests based on stats and information about you know web pages viewed and products viewed and purchases or cart abandonment or clicks on email. Uh, and so, there's a different level of scale to it, but. At the end of the day, what we're trying to do still is get the right data that we can then action on to have a more relevant experience, whether that be a conversation on the phone, whether that be an email, whether that be a website visit. Um, and so I, I think so much of this is making sure that as you kind of scale and grow these, you are ready to automate. You know, I, you look at, I think you said, I think it made me feel old, but like you said at the beginning I was 17 years doing this and did the math, I was like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I think about where I was 17 years ago. There was a lot less data, right? There was a lot less. Yeah. Our digital footprint was a lot smaller. Our digital footprint's much bigger now, uh, and, and that is creates amazing opportunities, but it also creates amazing amounts of you know kind of data to sift through to get to those right nuggets. So I think a huge thing comes down to is like getting it automated. You know, I still think about um, hopefully I can start going to in person trade shows more often again but I still think about how often you've seen someone like have an email signup list where it's still like the paper, right? First name, last name. So I have to type that in, right. And I I think for a lot of marketers, the strategy, you know, wherever it is, however, you're loading it in and and third-party data kind of also allowed for that to happen. We'd often get potentially dumps of third-party data and do some sort of bulk in, we need to really start thinking now about how do you, every moment you have with that customer, Right? Every time you have a digital moment, you've learned something, whether they acted or not with that, inter- whatever it was, you've, you've learned something. And how is that information being captured in an automated way so that we can kind of move away from the bulks? Like, bulks are fine from one system to another. Like, I totally get it, right? You've got a digital footprint in this system. You've got a digital footprint in this system. Maybe once a week, maybe once a day, you've got to reconcile those. That, that That's not kind of what I mean there. I mean much yeah. more on the. The, the only kind of, I, I, I'm capturing something in a non-automated fashion and I'm having to move it into a system, right? We really need to make sure that that is like a, you get it and it gets more of a set and forget. And it really becomes a seed and grow strategy then where it won't, you're not gonna have amazing first party data profiles overnight if you're just starting it. But if you think about every moment as an opportunity to build to that profile, and then you think about every moment becoming a flywheel, and you think about that, I'm like, I'm using the data I have, to personalize a moment, to engage yeah. on the channel I think is most relevant, and I'm learning what happened in the interaction, and I'm feeding that back in, and that flywheel will start to spin pretty fast.
2: Two main thoughts on that point. I think that also comes back to influence over the rest of the business because if you, as the marketing team, are partial or full owner of all of this, especially in something like a CDP, that's like really coveted information that the rest of the org should be highly interested in accessing, and so I think. Marketers have the opportunity then to flex a little bit and say, look at what we're collecting, look at how we're learning from it. Look at how we're aggregating it, consolidating it in something like a single record, or we're more reliably populating the accuracy of something like CRM. And here's what we're doing about all of that. And by the way, it's making your life better service person, salesperson, whoever it is. So that's, that's a pretty cool opportunity. And then the other thing is the automation of that collection. I really like that mentality to think of every touch point, not just as delivering that great experience, but also what else could we potentially pull out of the customer and sent the customer with to then learn from that interaction? Mm-hmm. Who's who's doing this really well right now? What, what customers do you point to who use really every single touch point, not to just highly personalize, but also like gain a little bit more to then use in the next interaction?
3: Yeah, well, what I'll say before you get to the customer there is what, what can get tricky is what the marketer views the single source of truth to be might not be what someone in the service department views the single source. Of Good truth point. Might not be what the entire companies look at it. And so as you think about, you know, kind of the idea of a single source of truth, what does that mean? Does it mean it's really in one system? I think the first thing one needs to recognize is the, the information that different departments need can be, can be not always the exact same field. And so then the question is, are you working on copies of data or are you working on having all of the data in potentially one system or at least connected systems where data is being properly shared, right? Like there is the, you know, myself as a consumer, uh, I'm probably not the only one out there that like my Gmail address. I don't normally use with brands. I still have a Yahoo address for that. And that's still the one I often sign up with and stuff because that way it has kind of kept, my, it just from a curation standpoint, my Gmail address yeah. is much more than from a true personal. And when I log into my Yahoo address, which still happens you know, multiple times a day, I know what I'm expecting when I go there. and I, And I know that I'm going there to look more at communications with organizations than potentially with an individual human. Uh, and have that piece there. So I, th- I think a lot of that kind of connects the dots as as we as we kind of go through there. Um, you know, I think of organizations that have, have done it well. We were uh, talking about Marketing Cloud's new features at a, a world tour event in uh, Sydney last week, and uh, the beauty company Mecca comes to mind, um, where they're really doing a good job at connecting those experiences from the website to their digital marketing efforts, to their customer service efforts, uh, to in-store rep efforts, so that they're all looking at the same record. Um, and, you know, they're all able to figure out, you know, how does, you know, what, what that allows an organization to do once you kind of start connecting those dots is, some of it is, I'd say, I, I, it sounds harsh, but it's like, it's common sense, but still hard to do. Um, yeah how do you suppress someone from service or from marketing when they have a service case open, right? Mm -hmm. Like that makes a lot of sense to do, but for a lot of organizations, it's hard. How do you recognize that Sam and Samantha might be the same person if they have the same phone number or the same email address? Uh, and how do you not make it where you have all of those? Um, you know, it's, it's always interesting when I can still see if someone manually potentially typed in data or if they didn't kind of run any type of scripts on top of it, where I'll get an email. That has like my first name in all caps, or I'll get an email that like I've literally got an email that says, you know, Robert parentheses goes by Bobby and parentheses it, right, like, and it's like I mean like I, I get what what happened there, um, but you know that that is definitely when you start having data potentially shared where whoever inputted that field was probably not thinking that would be used in any type of marketing automations.
2: I have tremendous empathy for that um, situation, but also very high expectations. I got I got an email this morning from a brand that I reordered from and I got a Wow, thank you so much. It means so much to us that you placed another order your loyalty. And it was addressed to my husband, in all caps. And I'm just going, Okay, well, th- you know, thanks. I get it. I see what happened there. But to your point, opportunity for improvement. Another thing I run into all the time, especially traveling is the whole like rigmarole by the service person to kind of run me through all of the ceremonies of the hotel or of the rental car or whatever. And I, I just think if, if you were to look at, you know, the points on my account or the fact that I've had a prior stay, you would know I'm so impatient. I just want to go to bed yeah. or get in the car or whatever it might be like, come on, like, and yeah. I, I try to be patient. I know they don't have the information because if they did, they probably use it, yeah. but um, it, it it is difficult when you know it could be better. <laughs>
3: And you know, some of them are, 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 challenges that are probably more like corner cases you might not need to solve for. And I'll give an example. Um, my aunt and uncle share an email address, Of course. and it baffles me because I'm like, you know, they're free. Right. Like, <laughs> but they'll, they'll get like two email and some organizations don't like, Well, they will get two emails of the same email address with like different content because, you know, they might realize that that email address purchases, you know, men's and women's. And sometimes that gets merged into one. Sometimes they get two different email addresses because they checked out with the same email address with different first names. Yep. I mean, like it's, 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 there's, there's just, there's challenges out there. It gets messy fast.
2: For offers in particular, um, in retail and e I I would have to assume, but also our gaming clients, I've worked quite a bit with gaming customers and it's very common for a, a spouse or partners to share an email address, but they have different gaming habits or styles. And so the data on them as players and they have their own loyalty cards is very different, but the communication goes to the same place. Um, and that's something that they have prioritized. That That's another good probably, example of the innovation challenge and priority because they've felt compelled to solve that because they know that providing the right offer at the right time makes a tremendous impact on your visit to the gaming location and really the amount of revenue you can generate for them. Yeah. Um, so I I, I I run into that often, but it's a very technically difficult problem yeah. to solve for sure yeah. and to make sure I mean, you get right.
3: Super in the weeds years, years, years ago, we tried to uh, use the email address as a unique identifier in one of our databases uh, and very quickly realized we had to assemble a different identifier on top of that because I'm guessing it's probably less than it was 10 or 15 years ago, but there was a lot of people that would, you know, we realized we were, we'd had two different records, two different names that, that had the same email address and, and, and similar about there. And you, if you want to be able to engage with them while you're sending them both to the same message or the same email address, if you want to engage them with different personalized content, you had to have them as two different records.
2: We run into this often working with clients who are migrating, implementing, doing all kinds of things, especially on the Salesforce platform. I'm starting to think we need a session next year's ultraviolet about like email addresses are free. Like you can get your own email. Here's how to do it. Here's how to help your, your aunt and uncle or your grandparents sign up, sign up for their own email address. This will make all of our marketers lives much easier. Um, so what's next? What's next for you and your team? What are you thinking about right now working on
3: yeah, well, uh, I mean, very, very near term. A lot of us are thinking about uh, the the upcoming Connections event f- that we're going to have in Chicago. And, and that is because it's going to be the first time we are back in person for this event awesome. since, uh, since, I guess, 29th, June 2019 was the last time it happened in person. And so, yeah. you know, kind of dusting off the cobwebs and some of those muscles. I'm going to have to start dry cleaning shirts again and <laughs> get two lasers pulled out all, all over again. Um, uh, so we're we're thinking about that, but I think I think a lot of it is we're just we're really excited about just kind of where where marketers are really embracing and like just starting to leverage data. Where I, I think there's a level of you know many of us had to you know just just be brute force our way into getting access to some of the data before in organizations where you know I I personally faced it where IT might not want me having access to it or they're going to give me a copy of it, but the copies weeks if not months old and i can't kind of react to it in, in, in real time and, and th- i mean that's one of the kind of the gifts of the last couple of years is that um it, we are seeing everyone's digital transformation accelerate we're seeing the plans get thrown out what they have the plan from 2019 doesn't matter anymore um, you know th- there's a different expectation of what they need to do by when and it's really putting marketing you know at a seat at the table with any other department and marketing is now coming in with all of this rich data on how their how their dollars are spending but also all this rich data on the customer and if they can do it right they can share it with all these other departments uh and we you know we often think of marketing as the tip of the arrow but but this is allows us to really have that arrow be that customer profile and be the same profile that the company is using across the board and we just You know, we start to build it with marketing and service can add on to it and every other department can add on to it um, to get to eventually that that complete record. Um, But it's just really exciting to see marketers embrace data talk more a lot about the strategies. Um, I'm hearing a lot less people thinking about just the idea of like third party data buys Um, it's I think it's been a challenge for people to think about okay cookies and device IDs are going to go going to go away, what do I do now, but it's allowing us to kind of fix some data strategies we know have been fundamentally broken for a while like we know a lot we've kind of just you know duct tape and bubble gummed a lot of our data strategies together as marketers you know grabbing pieces we can from here or there to kind of build what we can do and we've done a great job with what we've had um but this is this is a great moment to kind of reset that uh and 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 really start thinking about you know I sometimes uh, talk about companies that I call, I refer to as like digital native companies. And I think of a digital native company as like a Warby Parker who started online, and you know, kind of eventually went backwards and got, um, you know, not backwards in a bad way, but has retail yeah. shop now that you can <laughs> yep. kind of see. But that wasn't where they kind of started with. And I think of even a company like Salesforce, who's been around for you know over twenty years. And I think about our tech debt. I think about like how much stuff we have that is a little bit of like, yeah, we have it, we got to deal with it. Figure out how to make it work, and, and I think this is just an opportunity for a lot of marketers to embrace a lot of the bad stuff we might have had or been doing. Let's get rid of it now. Let's let's rethink it and let's and let's build the right data strategy moving forward uh, that creates these amazing moments. And if you just like in real life, you deliver the right moments with a customer, you start to build a relationship. And ultimately, we all want relationships with our customers.
2: I think, to embracing the pace that you mentioned, because I think, you know, we, we talked about data and being able to reflect on that four weeks after the quarter end and, and that being too slow to be able to recognize that throwing out a plan that's no longer relevant and that you don't have to stick to the plan just because it was the plan, but mm-hmm. operating in a more agile way with your team, embracing that and saying, we're gonna try the thing, we're gonna measure it in near real time, we're gonna learn from it in near real time, and then we're gonna just keep adding on, keep experimenting, keep moving forward. I think that's very uncomfortable for a lot of people because there is, in some cases, a tendency to build the plan and then say, well, we must stick to it. Like we put effort into the plan, now we have to see it through. But we have the advantage of so much more information and so much more data that that's not quite maybe the most efficient way of working, the most efficient way of spending budgets. and also gets a little uncomfortable, I think, yeah. to have to figure out in near real time and problem solve through that.
3: Yeah. One thing I'm very lucky for being able to work for a company like Salesforce is I've had access to some amazing executive coaches and have was recently speaking with one kind of through as we move into, you know, exactly. When do we go from pandemic to endemic? I, I, I don't know. It, it feels like we're close. <laughs> if not there, I'm not going to pretend to know the answers for that one there. But what he said to me was really interesting and it kind of opened my eyes in a different way, which was like, we've all proved now we can perform. For two years now, we all got put in our houses. We all, everything got disrupted. Everything changed. Yeah. I, I remember April, 2020 being very worried about the, what yeah. the economy looked like by the end of the summer. Would I still have a job even? Like I was thinking back to 2008 feelings. It was, yep. it was a very scary time there for, for, for a lot of us. And we, we as a whole performed. And his comment to me was like, you can do it. You know, you can do it. Now it's time to transform, right? Now it's time to to don't be as afraid of like, can these monumental changes, can you survive there? We've we've proven that. So recognize that this is an opportunity to transform. And, and I think a lot of the times what's going on with the right data right now is we've proved we can perform. Now let's use this as an opportunity to transform
2: one of my mentors always said chaos creates opportunity so i think that that's a it's a perfect way to conclude and also a perfect way to to be thinking about for our audience how they're going to move their teams forward what they're going to embrace and and knowing that things are going to keep changing and changing even faster that's just the reality we've now lived through that and so it's time to really think about i think how we're going to put that into practice um at, at work and, and probably in our personal lives as well
3: yeah absolutely
2: Well, Bobby, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and to speak with all of our guests and and share your insights. And I just wanna thank everybody who joined us today as well for taking the time and our incredible marketing team for putting the event together and, and hosting everything. I hope everyone has a great afternoon. Thanks so much. Thank you.
0: So going to completely unrelated, we have uh, the, the whole marketing element that Bobby just talked through and the technology piece of it, but I'm interested in what your favorite marketing campaign is right now. Because if there's anything we like to do on this podcast is we like to date ourselves as quickly as possible <laughs> <laughs> and putting a line in the sand for what your favorite marketing campaign or marketing um, like effectiveness from a company is right now. That's probably the best way to do it.
1: Well, it's, it's hard to say, like, the effectiveness versus, like, what I just enjoy. Like, we've all seen those kind of studies, like, humor and fear and how well those drive, but how they really don't correlate to, like, um, brand recognition or, like, retaining the information uh, specific to that brand or offering or product. Um, but I got to say, like, and you and I have spoken about this in the past, but uh, I, think, I think insurance companies just happen to have, like, a leg up on everyone, uh, right now so whether it's like i mean everything from i think geico probably you know was the the first nose across the finish line with like the big movement of like remember those old caveman uh ads? oh caveman was the best yeah. yeah uh what was it like brian the caveman or something like that how he he got so offended being called a caveman so it's so easy a caveman could do it and um and how offensive that was and things like that and they really kind of like blew that out and had fun i there were even spin-off sitcoms i, I think there was a sitcom of like Brian the Caveman. Really? Like that. Yeah, I remember. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it was short-lived, but I remember seeing actual like uh, promotions for a sitcom of that same character. Um, so I feel like insurance companies have always done it well. Um, and, you know, I mean, even uh, what's the, I can't think of the actor's name, but it's always bandaged up and causing, you know, wreaking havoc, um, flying through windshields or, you know, dancing and causing car accidents or something like that. Like the insurance companies just seem to have a, a ton of marketing budget um, (laughs) because their, their rates are quite healthy, but uh, I think they, they get to hire the, the firms that, you know, must just get to enjoy the most fun on creating those campaigns.
0: I would like to confirm there was a caveman sitcom.
1: I think it was cavemen.
0: It was cavemen, yes, but. It was it was a real thing, and Nick Roll, who has gone on to have a very successful career in entertainment, was on the show. But the show was not very successful. So, what about but, you? I'm right there. I, I think the insurance ones. I mean, the Dr. Rick from Progressive has <laughs> got to be by far my favorite right now. Yeah,
1: the becoming your parents,
0: especially as I get older, and I like recently I've started to say things that my dad used to say when I was a kid which is really annoying, but I'll also, I'll preface it with, you know, like my dad used to say, oh boy, this isn't good.
1: <laughs> well, that, it's funny because like they've hit everyone from like age 25 and up, basically anybody that'll be shopping oh. for insurance. Cause even, you know, even our parents remember what it was like becoming their parents. So like everybody can resonate with this. So in terms of a message that is, you know, large scale enough that it, it, it resonates with everybody, they hit the nail on the head. And then on top of that, like the actors and the scenarios, like where he's helping helping somebody back up into a parking space at Lowe's or whatever it is. Like You, you, you don't know them. You don't need to help. You, you're not supposed to help. You don't know them <laughs> or blue hair. <laughs> we all see it. We all see it.
0: <laughs> I think my favorite one is the, when they're walking into uh, the, they get to the sports stadium for a game and they're all <laughs> talking about how much like people, how much they make from parking. And then they're walking in and they're like, so should we leave around the third quarter and you know they're already talking about leaving before they get into the game all of these things like but I but that I think the problem is like I was even thinking the other day like it would be fun to go to a with uh, a half hour from Jacksonville it's like it would be fun to go to a Jaguars game but my first thought was man I don't know parking like getting there and then you gotta leave and I mean you know like I I feel like I'm to the point now, where you know I'm I'm part of that conversation of yeah, but you know I got my own bathroom and big screen TV at home, you know.
1: Beer's a lot cheaper on my couch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, man. You know, plus it's a Jags game, so yeah, that that's probably the biggest point. <laughs> Actually, if you think about it, the Jags have some of the most fun like marketing schemes out there in terms of the NFL team. So they've got those pools in the, uh, the uh, upper deck of their uh, stadium. Oh, like that. Otherwise, why would you
0: ever go to a game?
1: Exactly. Your job is to sell everything but the football there, because that's, oh, the, that's yeah. not a selling point, uh, at, you know, For or sure. at, at least you you, have, you sell the future, you sell fun in the stadium. You can sell weather. Sometimes you can sell a lot of things, but uh, you know, a winning season and you know, the, the, you sell the raw You sell now. the future. Yeah, you're selling. You're selling for the future. Like, oh, you know, and this is a, we're going to be good. It's a, a rebuilding year. It's a rebuilding year. <laughs> and this is this re- is coming from a Cincinnati Reds and Buffalo Sabres hockey fan, where I know what it's like to have a decade of rebuilding. So,
0: Oof, poor Reds. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
1: well, we hope you enjoyed the conversation
0: with Bobby and Abby, um, and even more so, we hope you enjoyed the conversation with us. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us in the clouds at leftdigital.com, and we'll see you next time.